Isn't it great to know that no matter what is going on in our lives, that if we are Christians and we have fellowship with God, it is always well with our souls. Appreciate you being here this morning. I know that we have several visitors with us. I know we have some from Abilene. We have some Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. But I think the prize for the farthest coming visitor this morning goes to Hakel sitting over here with Mark and Jew and Barbara. She has come all the way from Brazil to be with us. I think it's because she wanted to hear me preach this morning. Some think that maybe it's because she heard we were having uh, Thanksgiving fellowship tonight. Uh, others think that maybe they just, she just came to see Mark and Jew and, you know, and maybe that has something to do with it. I don't think it was to hear me preach because she doesn't speak any English much. I said, that's never stopped any of y'all. So, you know, but we have been in the uh, book of first John, that little letter that John writes uh, towards the end of the first century, one of the last letters uh, written, one of the last books in the New Testament, the three little letters John writes, and then the book of Revelation. And so we have been looking at this and we have noticed that John tells us why he writes the book. We don't have to worry. In chapter one and verse four, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. And then in chapter two and verse one, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And then in chapter two and verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are leading you astray. And then in chapter 5 and verse 17, 13, which is really probably the theme of the entire letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we looked and we noticed as we read through and I'm sure. Okay, how many of you have read first John this week? All right, we're getting there. Okay. How many of you maybe haven't read it this week? But you've read it, not ever, that's cheating. But if you've read it at least since we started talking about 1 John, raise your hand. Oh, okay, there we go. All right. So we're working on it, and that's good. We noticed as we went through in the very beginning that some things that uh, John stressed, he says that doctrine matters. You know, we live in a world, yeah, we live in a world that, you know, says it doesn't matter what you believe. You just believe in God, you love God, and that's the only thing that matters. Now, John is going to talk about loving God later on in the letter, and we love those verses. But he spends a lot of time in the introduction, in the very beginning of his letter, saying, what you believe matters, and doctrine matters. And there were those out there who had all these different false teachings and were coming in and corrupting the brethren there at the church. And John says, I'm writing so that you can be aware of them so that you can watch out for them because what they are teaching is wrong and what they're teaching is dangerous. And that brings to the second thing we learned is that holiness matters. One of the things that is dangerous about the wrong doctrine is that it ends up into wrong lifestyle. And wrong actions. And Paul, excuse me, that's the first time I've done that in a couple of weeks. John comes along and says, how you live your life matters. Some of these false teachers, you remember, we're going to get back into that a little bit today. Said, you know, there is no connection between the spiritual and the physical. Between our soul and our flesh. 
And so I can have fellowship with God. I can, I can have salvation and I can live my life any way I want to because that doesn't affect my spiritualness. It doesn't affect my relationship with God. And we look back on that and we think, well, that's just kind of ridiculous. Wait a minute. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but we got some folks in this world today, in our society that kind of have that same type of belief. Thirdly, he says that love matters. He says loving God matters and loving each other matters. And in fact, you can't have one without the other. And then he tells us confidence matters. And that kind of brings us to where we are this morning. He talks about fellowship with God and each other. Last week, we looked at the reality of sin. We talked about what sin was or is, what it does and the solution. And this week's lesson follows that same thought. So in chapter two, beginning in verse three, it says... We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he says is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walk walked and we appreciate those words we've talked about it from the very beginning in chapter 5 and verse 13 that theme verse we appreciate that John says that he is writing so that we can know we have eternal life we appreciate the assurance we appreciate the confidence we appreciate the strength for life that comes by knowing if we live in If we live our life never knowing for sure, always wondering, always questioning, always feeling like our salvation is just, just ready to be snatched away from us, that any minute we could, we could go from being saved to being lost, that, that we are always in such a precarious situation spiritually. Where's the joy in life? Where's the hope? that we have. John comes along and he says, you may know that you have eternal life, but knowledge is only as good as the information we have. How many times have you known something? You were absolutely sure. You could have, you know, you would have Bank the, bet the house on it. And then you found out you were wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't tell me no. A month or so ago in the men's business meeting, I wasn't in there, but uh, it, it came up that uh, there was a young man visiting and he had a, a little child and he was in the men's restroom back there uh, changing the diaper. And had to do it on the vanity because there was no changing table in the men's restroom. And so the next morning I came in like I do because, you know, I was with the kids at Devo. So I wasn't in the men's business meeting. I came in and I read the minutes of the men's business meeting. And I said, wait a minute, that's not right. I said, what bathroom was he in? And I said, well, the big one out here in the foyer. I said, no, that's not right. I know... There is a changing table in the men's restroom because I remember 
When we had built the new building and we were, we decided we need a changing table in the women's restroom, I remember the conversation about if we're going to put one in the women's restroom, we need to put one in the men's restroom. I remember installing it. Somebody stole it. Because I said, ah, oh, that's not right. And I, you know, me, I just stomped off. I'm going to go through. And I threw the door open on the men's bathroom. And I went. There's no changing table. Somewhere. I still think somebody stole it. And they covered it up real good. You know, can't even tell it was ever there. I knew. I knew. There was a change. There is now, by the way. But anyway, I knew that there was a changing table in that restroom. I was wrong. I had assurance. I had confidence. I had boldness. I had courage that it was there. But I was wrong. How many of you are dependent nowadays on your GPS? Either in your car or on your phone. How many of you have found out that is only as good as the information that is in that? If there's new roads or some other road, it may not get you there. Mine, yeah, especially if you go into new construction. Get back on the route. Get back on the route. Shut up. (laughs) Years ago, and I've told this, it was the first time we were going to White's Ferry Road. In uh, uh, West Monroe, Louisiana. We were going for youth evangelism seminar. Now... You know, I'm not going to say nothing about people from Louisiana. But just follow me. You print a map. And this map has I-20. Right here. Right? Going east and west. Right? Okay, that would be I-20. And you say that the White's Ferry Road Church Building is down here. Is that not south? In any other state in the country? Laura White's Ferry Road is north of I-20, isn't it? She went to White's Ferry Road. We were going, and so I'm following the map. It gets, says, gets off at Thomas Avenue exit or whatever. So I get off, and I go, you know, south. Woo! That is the ghetto. I mean, we were in not a good part of town and there is no church building anywhere near there. There is nothing open at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning in White's Ferry Road in that neighborhood except the liquor store. Now, this is the day before cell phones. So here I am in the Church of Christ. Luckily, Dangerfield was in little letters. Church of Christ was big, but Dangerfield was in little letters. I pull up to the liquor store. To ask directions. And they tell me, oh, that's on the other side of the highway. That's up yonder. And I'm looking at the map. It can't be. Because everybody knows that this is south. So, you know, again. So after it was all over, I I went to the youth minister. Who had put this thing on. I said, you know, there's something wrong with the way you printed this map. 
He never understood what I was trying to say. I, I don't know. But see, I knew where I was going. When we left here, I knew exactly where we were going. I knew exactly how to get there. But I was wrong because the information I had was wrong. It was incorrect. John doesn't say just blanket. You can know you have eternal life. There are concrete things that we can secure that knowledge to. Our knowledge, remember that John is writing to combat combat false teaching, that there was some secret or special knowledge that only some people had. And only few were given an access to. John comforts his readers and us by making the case that this knowledge is knowable for everybody. Not just a few. You want to know? You want to know? You want to know? You can know. And so first of all, we're going to talk a minute about the essence of knowing. John uses the word know or a variation of it 32 times in this short little letter. Wow. 32 times. But he teaches us that knowing God is more than an abstract intellectual knowledge. It is more intimate. It is deep. It is expressed. This was understood in the older versions of the Bible. You remember the King James? You know, everybody remembers that. And, you know, they didn't want to say things that maybe were not quite. eh. And so they used the word know to describe the sexual relationship between a man and woman. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 in the King James Bible says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived. Well, if by knew, we just mean, you know, knew. Well, no, something's going on between, you know, a little more to that. Just because you don't know somebody doesn't mean that, you know, a baby happens. There's obviously more to the know there. And that is what John is telling us. Well, knowing God is more than just an intellectual exercise. It's more than just being able to recite facts. It's more even than just a personal feeling. It is an intimate, intense, personal fellowship with God. That's why in Hosea. God used the marriage relationship to describe his relationship with Israel and accused them of adultery and used that marriage relationship. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses the marriage relationship to describe the relationship with Jesus and the church. That's why in Revelation, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Because we all understand that the marriage relationship, when we talk about knowing our spouse, we're talking about more than just facts. You know, when we, when we get married and we have those wedding vows, I want you to, we don't ever say, at least I don't think so, I've never heard this, I vow to know about you. I vow to memorize your name and answer trivia questions about you. Uh, That's not part of the wedding vows. The part of the wedding vows that means something is where it says, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, 
till death do us part. We understand that that kind of knowledge between a husband and wife runs deeper than just facts. And if we want to have fellowship with God, if we want to know God, it's got to go deeper than just facts. It's got to go deeper than just up here. It's got to be from in here and extend to out there. That is the knowledge that John is talking about. Knowing God is not intellect, just intellectual, it is experiential. And John gives us two evidences, sort of, of this knowledge in these verses. First of all, he says that knowing God is obeying. How can we claim to know God if we don't do what he commands? Now, that ought to be one of those rhetorical questions, you know? How can you know, say you know God and not do what he commands? And we ought to be able to go, well, you can't. But to John's readers and to some of the false teachers, it was not a rhetorical question. It was a legitimate question because there were those out there saying, I can know God. I can have fellowship with God and I can live my life any way I want to. I can do this and this and this and this. Remember, because there's no connection between the physical and the spirit. I can live any way I want to and still claim to know God. And John says, anybody who claims to know God and doesn't do what he commands is a liar. Whoa. (coughs) Excuse me. Not just mistaken. Not (coughs) ill-informed, but is a liar. And the truth is not in him. My relationship with God, there are those out there, there are many who believe, like these false teachers that John is dealing with, that my relationship with God is not dependent on my action or my lifestyle. I can live how I want, do what I want, but I can still claim to have fellowship with God. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what God commands. It doesn't matter all these things. The only thing that matters is how I feel and do I have God in my heart? Do I love God? That's the only thing that matters. And in the book or the letter that talks more about loving God than probably any other book in the New Testament, John says, You can't. You cannot say you know God. You cannot say you have fellowship with God. You cannot say you love God and then live your life any way you want to. You are lying to yourself (coughs) and you are lying to others. And so this is important for us. Remember what we have learned from the beginning that doctrine and holiness matter. They matter. Obeying God's commands implies that we know his commands. Obeying is not a feeling. Obeying is not abstract. Well, I feel like I'm right with God. I feel like I'm doing what God would want me to do. How many times have we seen those in the Bible? 
who felt like they were doing the right thing, but weren't. You remember Saul, when he was waiting on the the prophet, the priest to come and make the sacrifice before the battle. And all the people, the soldiers started to desert. And so Saul, not being a priest, decided to take it upon himself and offer the sacrifice that he was not authorized to sacrifice, to make. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as he'd done it, the priest shows up and says, what have you done? And Saul says, I felt compelled to offer the sacrifice. It felt right. It felt like that is what God would want me to do. It felt like in this circumstance, God would make an exception. And the prophet said, Saul, because of what you've done, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. Flip over one chapter. Tell Saul to go and defeat the Amalekites. Kill everything and everybody. He comes back and he spares the king and he spares the best of the flock because he says, and whether he really was going to do this in the beginning or he just made it up at the last minute to try to cover his tracks, I don't know. But either way, he said, oh, I thought we'd make a big sacrifice to God. And you remember what the prophet said? It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Saul thought it'd be okay. Saul felt like it was right. But obeying is not about just feeling. It's about knowing God's commands and keeping them. God has black and white. God says there is right and wrong. God says there are clean and unclean and darkness and light. There is absolute right and wrong as taught by God's word. And that is why studying God's word is important to us. And you parents, grandparents, whoever else out there, that is why it is important that you teach your children to honor God's word and to obey God's word and teach them what God's word says. You see, if all we teach children is we need to love God, but we don't ever tell them what God says and how we ought to live our lives, we are setting them up for disaster spiritually. So knowing God is obeying. And thirdly, or secondly, kind of, sort of, or thirdly, knowing God is walking as Jesus walked. He says in verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. You remember the fad several years ago with the bracelets and and the uh, bumper stickers and all those things. WWJD. Remember that? What would Jesus do? And I always thought from the very beginning, I thought, you know, there's something a little off about that. I know everybody had them. In fact, you know, the little lanyard thing that I keep the bus keys on when we're going. It has another little whistle on it. All those things. It's a WWJD lanyard from, you know, 30 years ago. (laughs) But I always thought there was something a little off with that. What would Jesus do? And I always thought it would be better if it was WDJD. What did Jesus do? 
do. You see, because what would Jesus do leads it to our interpretation a little bit. It lets us kind of kind of massage it around and, and whatever. But it's not about what would Jesus do. It's about what he did while he was here in his ministry. Part of the purpose. We've talked about this. Remember John 1, 14? We love that verse. You know I love that verse. Well, 1, 1 and 2, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, and then one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory. He didn't just become flesh to live the perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. Now, he did that. And the scriptures are very clear. He became flesh. He became a man. He suffered through, through discouragement, through temptation, just like you and me. Yet he was perfect. And that is why he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But that's not the only reason the word became flesh. The word also became flesh in order to show us and demonstrate to us the perfect way. Remember our writer in Hebrew said he was not just the author of our faith, but the pioneer or perfecter of our faith. Again, obedience is not abstract. It's not even just words. It is a lived out, exemplified life through Jesus Christ. When we read the gospels, and we see how Jesus dealt with people and his interaction and how he treated people and all that stuff. We don't have to wonder when we get ourselves in a situation. What would Jesus do? We know what he did. Because if we read the Gospels, we're going to find Jesus in a similar situation. It may not be exact, but it'll be similar. And we can see how he dealt with temptation. We can see how he dealt with sorrow. We can see how he dealt with people, even when they were difficult to be dealt with. Again, it's not abstract or even just words. Jesus lived it out. It mirrors what John said earlier in chapter one, verse seven. If we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son continues to cleanse us. So we walk as Jesus walked. If you have your songbooks, or a songbook in front of you. Turn to uh, 429. 429. We know this song. When it talks about walking as Jesus walked. Listen to the first two verses. Oh to be like thee. Blessed redeemer. This is my constant longing in prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit. All of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Second verse, oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. I want to just take a minute and let's sing these first two verses. And I want us to think about 
Do we really want to be like Jesus? Are we really trying to be like Jesus? Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of our treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind. Helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, Come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. I love that last little part where it says, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. You know, we are Christians. And if we are really children of God, we will be filled in a sense with the essence of God. It ought to be in our DNA. Now, I hate to say this with my dad here, but several, many, many, many years ago, when I was at AM, I was walking across campus and met up with a, a girl who was my age, she may have been a year older, who we had gone to church with in Colleen. You know, we, we lived in Colleen and then we moved away to Virginia and then I came back to to A&M. But she had known us when we, when we were in Colleen. And my dad taught the teenage class. I think when we were going to the high school class maybe. And so we're walking across campus together. We're walking to, I'll say we were walking to class. She may have been walking to class. But anyway, we're walking to class. And she says, you know you walk just like your dad. Is that? And then a few years ago, Kenya and I were going to Washington, D.C. We did a trip. We went to Washington, D.C. And I wanted to visit the church where we had attended when I was in high school. And I told Kenya, there's only one person there that I think would even remember who I am. And, you know, I'll have to remind him because it's been 40 years, you know, since I was there. And uh, I just saw on the website that he happened to be a deacon. So I knew, you know, he still went to church there. And so we get there, you know, towards the end of Bible class time. Uh, so there's not anybody really milling around. You know, everybody's in Bible class, but we're going to go in and, and get ready for worship. And we walk in this door and this elder, well, I won't say elderly, that might offend some people. But this much older lady, as I'm walking in the door, she says, you're Gerald's son. 
are you kidding me? And it was a lady who had, her husband had been in the army with my dad and we'd been together at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas and also there in Virginia. She had two sons about my age, but it had been 40 years since she saw me. I was a senior in high school. I weighed 127 pounds. I had no facial hair. But I walked in and she said, you're Gerald's son. Wow. When John and Betty Trailer visited Hot Springs Village Church, they went to my dad's class. He taught Bible class. He was teaching Bible class. And they came back and they told me, we see so many of your mannerisms and the way you teach in your dad. Many years ago, for the first time since Kenny and I were, and the only time since Kenny and I were married, I decided to shave my mustache. You know, I've always gone between mustache, goatee, beard, you know, but always at least minimum mustache. Virtually my entire adult life. I shaved my mustache and my dad was in the mirror. And I was like, this better grow back quick. (laughs) Can can I go get a, yeah, nothing personal pops, you know, but. but Did I practice walking like my dad? Did I practice teaching like my dad? No. Well, how could that be then? Because it's part of my DNA. Part of who I am. Because of the relationship we have. It shows. And what John is saying here is. If we know God. It's going to show. It's going to show in our obedience to him. It's going to show because we walk. As Jesus walked. People are going to see similarities. People we don't know are go, wow, you're God's child. You're God's child because of how you act and how you talk and how you treat people. And John says, we cannot claim to know God and not do what he says. We want that assurance in 513 to know that we have eternal life. Then we do what God says. And we can have that confidence. Confidence based in anything else is a little shaky. It's a little flimsy. But if we're walking in the light. If we're walking as Jesus walked. We're obeying him. Then we can have that confidence. If you're here this morning. And there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come down as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson. You have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. 
or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.